Coming up, are the Brooklyn Nets still a viable landing spot for superstar talents in the NBA? You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I'm Adam Armbrecht covering the New York football giants and the New Jersey Devils on the One Giant Podcast and the Devils Puck Luck Podcast. But over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie, owner-operator of DFSR for all your daily fantasy sports rankings from DraftKings to FanDuel. He's got you covered. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day free on all those great platforms and tell you, Today's episode is brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And Doug, as the season winds down for Brooklyn, we know the playoffs are looming, but you and I started to have this discussion around the long-term picture and being a championship-caliber team in Brooklyn. The real question becomes, can this team, can this organization still attract superstar talents. Yeah, look, I uh, we're hoping to never have to relitigate this too far beyond this because, you know, the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and we'll throw James Harden into the mix era is clearly over. This is not um, copium around. Are they gone? <laughs> but they're not coming back. They're, they're, <laughs> not, they're not walking back. They're, they're not walking I back. I thought it was yeah, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Got you there. Yeah, but but and but I do think and, you know, we appreciate our friends over at Nets Daily who aggregated some of this uh, some of these quotes from these guys, which we'll get to shortly. But I, I do think or we thought it was a good time to look at like sort of the state of the Nets going forward. And now that we know that the superstar era in in Brooklyn crashed and burned like pretty darn hard you do have to which is the which is probably putting it really nicely um you do have to start looking at it in the context of what the future is for the organization and how they're viewed sort of industry or league wide at this point because it actually does it is important like to mm -hmm. think about the where the organization sits in just in terms of the landscape of how they're viewed and i think i think from kevin durant and kyrie irving and you know to some degree hardens perspectives i think their perspectives about the about the team do matter and i think they do matter for how the team in the field like you said at the top in the future are they going to be a landing spot for for superstar town do they want are are there going to be other superstars that want to come basically that want to come to brooklyn yeah, and we're so we're going to hit this from the top level that Doug mentioned, quotes from Kevin Durant, from Kyrie Irving, and, and frankly, even James Harden. I think that there's there's some perspective around the way all three of those guys talk, not just about the Nets, but about one another, potentially, even in passing shots. And then we will discuss the players currently here and what some of the viable short-term options are going to be. But but you mentioned Nets Daily collecting some of these quotes uh, recently. Start what do you want to start with Kevin Durant, I think, because that's the more favorable reflection on the Brooklyn Nets. Let's go there. And yeah, and Kyrie's isn't bad, but um, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna uh, this is partly what he had, to, and Nets daily aggregated, but it really comes from Sham Strania, who's who did speak with KD, who and he ended up talking about his time in Brooklyn. Not gonna read all through the quotes here, um, but there was one interesting one where he talks about 
Uh, he said, I wasn't trying to prove the Nets were a um, S word uh, organization. I was just trying to prove I was trying to prove that they were a great organization. They care about their players and they want best for their players. Uh, I'm going to include my own thing here. This is important for him to say. Uh, I'm not here trying to prove that the Nets were wrong. I think they did an amazing they did amazing by me the whole time I was there, not just with the trade coming off of the injury. Uh, and I'll skip forward here. I appreciate that for life. I feel like we'll be tied as family members for life, regardless of how it finished. Uh, that quote from Durant who is one of the most respected players in the league, I think actually goes a pretty long way in, in how the Nets are. Would you say that? I'll get to the Kyrie piece in a second here. But like just hearing that from Durant, I, not like it softens the blow at all, but like, I don't know, that's a pretty definitive way to talk about the organization that you don't often hear coming from a guy who requested to be traded in, in, you know, in the middle, really basically twice. He requested to be traded twice by this team. If you think that that acquiescing in season to Kevin Durant's desire to be traded was a mistake by Brooklyn, they didn't get enough for him, that they made an error in, in being very specific and saying we're only negotiating with the Phoenix Suns, we're not leaving it open for anyone to come and bid on you, this would be the exact reason why it was worth it and why it was the prudent move. Because to your point, Kevin Durant, now listen, he could be saying whatever he wants behind closed doors to other players, et cetera. But at least publicly facing, he is communicating, I didn't have an issue with the organization. The way things ended up not working out is really disappointing. But guess what? They, they did the right thing by me. They honored my request. They got me to the place that I wanted to go to. And I can, I can at least reflect on it and say, yes, the expectations and what we didn't accomplish, that's disappointing. But the way the organization treated me is good. And, and that's as important as anything when you think about other superstars. Kyrie has not been as complimentary in his time uh, since he got to Dallas. It's not, um, you know, some of these are sort of like typical Kyrie affair here where it's just like hard to totally tell what, you know, direction the wind is pointing mm -hmm. with this guy. So um, he was asked recently because like the Mavs are in the middle of a huge swoon um, where they're right now, if the, the season were to end, they would not make the playoffs. He said, I wanted to finish out with Brooklyn, finish out with the season that we had going. I didn't get a chance to do that. Hilarious wording there. Um, so some of the goals I had previously this season had to be shifted and I had to be more than willing, which I am hilarious to be flexible and adaptable and live with the results, whether we make the playoffs or not. Um, so th this one, and again, Kyrie, who is very well respected among players. I like mm -hmm. that is not, that's not a hot take. That's um, very, very, very clear. He has not been as complimentary um, around Brooklyn. This one, th these quotes would make it seem like he was sort of like his hand was forced uh, by to be traded. I, I don't know if that's totally the case. Where do you, what do you feel like when you hear these quotes from him? And do you think like one of these two guys, because Durant was went out of his way to be complimentary here for about right. the Nets. I, I think Kyrie has not done that even in the slightest. I, I They had two totally different experiences for sure. So I'm not right. even say Kyrie has to be complimentary here at all. Believe me. Um, but what do you think? You know, do you think these what Kyrie has said about the organization on the way out holds any weight? I think that you mentioned it there. Two very different experiences. I think that Kyrie Irving would have more of a case for reflecting on Brooklyn and saying, there's a, a myriad of reasons why I feel like I was mistreated, why they didn't do right by me, right? We don't need to go through all the laundry list of it. Likewise, Brooklyn could say the same thing reflecting on Kyrie Irving. I don't know if he held up his end of the bargain. So it is very unique from the Kevin Durant, it, it feels like, relationship with the Brooklyn Nets. That being said, while everyone player-wise may does, it's not a hot take, as you said, respects Kyrie Irving as a basketball player and, and arguably as an individual, and the way that he carries himself in terms of the, the personal side of things that he brings into the professional aspect of basketball. 
But it doesn't mean that you can't objectively look at the way that his interactions have gone from Cleveland to Boston to Brooklyn and now to Dallas and say, I do respect him on and off the court. But also, I disagree with maybe the way that he carries himself when it comes to organizations and those interactions. Because if you're going to be smart about it, Kevin Durant has cycled through now onto his fourth team. And he has not looked at the same way, at least publicly, that Kyrie Irving is. He's not looked at as a malcontent or a potential issue. He's looked at as an, as an asset, even as he's gotten older, and even as he may have some more injury concerns, certainly, than Kyrie does. And I think it helps. I think it's interesting, too, that they don't seem um, completely tied together at this point, either. Like, on a narrative uh, on a narrative through line, they're on different teams now. They're really not mentioned together anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if like the friendship is whatever it is, but, like, they're not... I do think there's probably a, a situation where the two of them having there's a dis, there does seem to be a distance now between them that I wonder how that's viewed as well. We're going to get into more of this in a second. We'll talk about the current state of where the Nets are, how attractive a landing spot they could be, what what players even kind of fit into this mold going forward about for the Nets in the future. We'll get into that in a second. First, going to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel, America's number one sports book right now. FanDuel is giving new customers, wait for this one, it's a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets. If that first bet of yours doesn't win, you have to go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and sign up today for your no-sweat first bet. You can wager on everything for the money lines, get the point spreads, which team's going to be cutting down the net here in the, if you're going uh, the NCAA route. You can do even get super granular, like who's going to score the first basket in a game. You go over, under on some of these rebounds, points, assists, blocks, really everything. Anything you can imagine FanDuel has imagined it and then taken it 10 steps further. So that's really all you have to know. You can just, you'll, you'll lose yourself in this place. And it's amazing. We love FanDuel. You will too. It's all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Don't miss your shot at a no sweat first bet up to a thousand dollars. When you join FanDuel today, just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up, make every moment more with FanDuel. Okay. So the first piece of it is, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and how their opinions impact the way that the Brooklyn Nets are perceived. Before we get into the players on this roster and how that impacts the attractiveness for superstars, what is your what is your bow tie on those on those two players and how they've reflected on Brooklyn? Do you think that that's negatively impacting positively or do, or is it fair to just say I think they're back to neutral as far as those two stars and even James Harden, which we didn't get into, mostly because it felt like James Harden's issues actually lied on the player level, not the organizational level. My guess it's something like neutral. I, like I don't think they're probably a super super attractive landing spot like they were, you know, going into the KD Kyrie era where they had sure. just built a really good organization. It looked really kind of just ship shape top down. They had just done a they basically just hit home runs on every single moves coming out of the previous era where they had just, you know, submarine their draft and everything like that. I don't think they're clearly not at that level now. Um, but I don't think they're one, like I, they're not like this now, but like how people saw the Knicks like four years ago, right? It's right. like no chance. We're not taking the meetings. Like we're not, we're not doing it. When all these, when the real high profile guys or even Katie and Kyrie were, were free agents, they could have gone to New York. Like New York had cap space open during those times. They just didn't do it. So I don't think they're in that spot, but I don't think, and and, and by the way, I don't, the Knicks aren't in that spot either anymore, but the, yeah. um, I, but I also don't think that they're some like, I don't think they're like the world-class organization either. I think that's probably somewhere in between. There's some work that needs to be done. You mentioned it before, and then I'll, you know, I want to hear your opinion. Like it does help that like 
this is Katie's fourth team. This is Kyrie's fourth team and maybe fifth. Cause like he's a free agent, like no clear. He could be on the team five and it's one yeah. sixth of the whole league. <laughs> and it will always help all these organizations that there's just only 30 teams, <laughs> right? Like there's just, <laughs> there's not unlimited landing spots here. And so it, money will always talk a decent amount. And, and, I don't think they're a tire fire. Let me put it that way. Like well, I don't like. I think that's kind of where I land. Like they're not, they're not all the way at the right end of the bell curve, but that's a left. I think they're just kind of back in the middle now. Yeah, and to your point, if the, if the money is good, if the money's right, Brooklyn is not in a situation organizationally where a player would go even for the money. I, I couldn't possibly get into bed with this particular organization at this time. Now. I think after the trade deadline, the reason why going forward they are a viable landing spot is because of one specific player on the court, and that's Mikael Bridges, right? You get him back from Phoenix. We'll talk about some of the other guys, Nicholas Claxton, chief among them, but we've discussed this in in previous episodes here about you feel like you have at least a couple of core pieces here going forward. Are they superstar players? No, but if you can, if you're a superstar talent that's going to be looking for a new landing spot potentially, and you look at Mikhail Bridges, I do think the thing that the best players in the league understand is what Mikhail Bridges is playing without, right? So here's a 27-point scorer since he's joined the Brooklyn Nets, and he's doing it without having an elite number two or a number one ahead of him. And if you are one of the best players in the league, I think you could very easily look and say, well, if you put me at the top of the pecking order and Mikhail Bridges is, and I have Mikhail Bridges by my side, a two-way player that is playing some of his best, not some, the best basketball of his career and entering his prime and is under contract control. Yeah, that does make it a very attractive spot. And I think to a lesser extent, Nicholas Claxton is someone you can dream on being a very valuable piece to play with as well. Yeah, it's funny about, you know, sometimes we've seen guys in this league, Katie and Kyrie are a good example of this, to sort of like team up along these lines to make it to, to make it so they can uh, shift themselves into one place. We saw this with Kawhi and PG. I do think to some degree like that, those days are kind of over. Um, I mm-hmm. think that generation of kind of stuff happening is kind of done with. Um, and we're going to, you'll see this a little bit more when it comes to like the actual free agents that are coming down the pike because um, I, it's going to be questionable about like whether this is even the viable part of it. In terms of attractiveness of talent, um, yeah, like you have to view Bridges and Claxton in a certain way. Again, they are these guys, as good as they've been, are clearly not on that next level. There is a clear hierarchy in the NBA of like superstar talent. Those guys are not on that level. Like, I'm not sure they'll ever get in that level. I think they're very, very good. Bridges obviously has the best shot of like, you know, we're talking like guys that can reach top 20 talent. Well, by the I, way, I don't think superstar all-star Mikhail Bridges is going to be an all-star in the league going forward I believe and there is a difference in hierarchy there but you do need to have that you do need to have another all-star on your roster if you're a superstar looking at that team right and then there's like all you know first second team all NBA which is like the next level and he's I don't think he's there right and Claxton is not an all probably he's definitely not an all NBA guy right so like these guys just aren't going to be on that next superstar class of, 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 of sort of guy um that at the same time like you can envision guys wanting to play with these guys because like they're young, their personalities seem good. Like they are clearly very talented. Um, And so from that standpoint, I think talent wise going forward, the nets have developed, you know, at least a couple person core here that is Mm -hmm. sort of attractive. Obviously Simmons is still on the books here. I don't think that he would fit into that. I, he does not fit into that group, Um, but he's on the team. Well, we need to mention him. I'm not trying to drag him here. I'm just saying like, it's not a drag. It's just like, he's on the books for a bunch of years now. I don't think he's viewed like 
viewed like that in NBA circles. I, maybe he's viewed the opposite. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, I, like, uh, there's a world where he's viewed as negatively. I, I'm not exactly sure there. I, I, I would say that I don't think he's probably viewed overly positively. Mm-hmm. He could also be a neutral guy, too. But he, he needs to be mentioned in this group of guys that are on the team. Well, and certainly, so just the one note on Ben Simmons is even if you're a a player that's looking at Brooklyn, at a minimum, you know that he occupies a significant amount of money, and that can hinder the team's ability to do other things you may want them to do if you're picking them as a landing spot. Now, in addition to Mikhail Bridges, who's played exceptionally well, the other thing I think that you can look at, and we'll talk about in the third segment, what the landscape of free agents looks like, the draft, those type of things, and how that can impact the attractiveness of Brooklyn, but to whatever level, it does matter that Mikhail Bridges, in a supporting role, has playoff experience. Spencer Dinwiddie was critical to what Dallas was doing, and we all know that he was critical to the plucky run that Brooklyn had when he was a part of it the first time. Royce O'Neal played in Utah, playoff teams, right, in a significant role, an important role, and has now carried that over with that versatility. Dorian Finney-Smith, it hasn't lived up to it, but the point being, it's like one of those things that you do mention and look at is the fact that this isn't a, you know, that's just pulled one out against Houston. It's not well that they're talented, but I have no clue what their ceiling is. I have no clue what they're capable of. Who knows what the expectation should be for an NBA player, not for a guy, a fan or, or an analyst for an NBA player. I think guys like that matter to attracting superstars. They want to look at a roster and say, I believe in and know from what I've seen from certain guys that they can be a playoff caliber roster with me on it. And that we could have a certain level of expectation when it comes to postseason runs. All right. When we get back, we'll talk about actually what the real actual landscape looks like, because we've been talking about, you know, whether these whether the Nets are an attractive organization going forward. I think we agree that they are not unattractive, but we have to look at also what the real landscape of how teams actually add these guys to, because that's the other part of this discussion and what players can be or will be available and what the Nets would have to part with to actually bring in one of these guys possibly going forward in the next few years. We'll talk about that next. Okay, so uh, we're on a pretty good roll here, I think. Brooklyn's a very attractive place to play. <laughs> we're, at least, we're at least painting a picture where it doesn't need to be this long-term rebuilding process. However, the one nice thing coming out of these trades is you get a lot of draft capital. A lot of it is further down the road. They are going to have two first-round picks in the upcoming draft. Depending on how they shake out, something around the 20-ish area is where they're going to live with these. The question becomes, in the short-term offseason – knowing what they have on the books, knowing the Cam Johnson contract, are they really going to be able to go out or willing to go out and spend all the capital to attract a superstar? And who's even going to be available, right? And that's where when you looked at it, Doug, this offseason may not be the one. It may be another year from now when the Nets could try to make a significant move. Well, we know it's not going to be this year because they're already over the cap and like they, you know, they're at 145 on the books for next season and that's already over the cap. So like even just the bird rights on Cam Johnson is where you can think about resigning him. They're not going to sign any free agents this year. That's just that's just the state of the the situation. Ben Simmons that contract is untradeable right now. Um they also a world where they they renegotiate with Nicholas Claxton, not that they have to, and I wouldn't have said it if it was still Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving here, but now that it's not Maybe you go back, you know, maybe you extend him now and try to get a deal done sooner along with Cam Johnson and this new, quote, core. 
Right. So they have, you know, they have about 145 set on the books for next year. Again, the cap was, I think we're going to be 135 going into next season. So there's, there's nothing's going to happen next year. Um, the, what you're looking at more is the future where they're only at 87 committed. Now let's assume they bring back cam Johnson and let's assume like Claxton gets a pay raise and they bring him back. Good chance. They're still under the cap. They still have 40 million of Simmons on the books. It, it would get pretty dicey. All of these Two important things to know about. Very few guys hit unrestricted free agency at this point that are like among a world-class group of guys. So like, cause most teams just lock these guys up. So this is why a lot of times you get locked up and then you'll ask for a trade, right? Like this is where this has happened more times than not, or you, they get, they get close and then you do sign and trade kind of stuff. So like, these are like the, really the two mechanisms. Very few guys enter just the, they very few guys enter like the open bidding process at this point because it's just not really how the mechanics of it work. Now, good news is there's really no good free agents coming on the books this year, so like there's nothing Sweet. to even worry about. It's like, like <laughs> the, I, the list is the list is bad. It's like it's not really anybody that the Nets would want to be in on. And again, like no worries there. Like they don't have the they don't have the ability to do it. I mean, we're talking like uh, Westbrook's a free agent. Uh, old friend James Harden's a free agent. Middleton is probably is a free agent, but he's probably going back to my guess is he goes back to Milwaukee. Another old friend, Kyrie Irving's a free agent. I think we know there. So like these are the list of guys. And then it really, really falls off a cliff. It's like Vooch and Draymond and guys that just the Nets wouldn't be the Nets wouldn't be entertaining. Now the next year, go ahead. I'll say the next year gets a little more interesting, but just go ahead about like this first group. Like, do you feel like there, anything was is missed this year by not being able to wade in these waters? No, and maybe they actually luck out that way. I think the question that I was just going to pose is the idea of, okay, not those guys necessarily mentioned, but would the Brooklyn Nets or would you want the Brooklyn Nets, assuming financially the Joe Harris contract, et cetera, if they could go in for a second-tier type of player, do you, would you want them to? Would you think they should be doing that as opposed to standing pat, waiting into the season? We know Spencer Dinwiddie with a not fully guaranteed contract. That could move. Mention Seth Curry will come off the books here. That's marginal money. Even this may sound silly, but it's worth mentioning. No matter what happens, at a minimum, Patty Mills' money will be off the books after next season at worst. So you are going to see a lot of things happen here um, in short order. Could they go to the market? Maybe. It seems very unlikely and not worth it in that sense. And I do have the follow-up as to what is an ironic potential mechanism for the Brooklyn Nets to land a star. But as you said, the following year is when there is maybe a very specific name that comes to mind for Brooklyn. Yeah, and so it, it gets a little wonky here because like it's the free agent tracking gets weird because like some of these guys have player options for this coming year, and it's like up to depending on whether they're going to accept them or not. Like Fred Van Vliet's got a twenty-two million dollar player option; he's like never going to take that, right? Like he's just going to he'll probably almost definitely opt out and just go sign a bigger contract. Like Harden's in the same kind of area, right? Like mm -hmm. some of these guys are are in weird spots. Obviously, right now, like the 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 cream of the crop in the next free agent class is Jalen Brown. Um, he's coming up. They have not re-signed him. There's a lot of wonkiness going on with him about whether he's going to make all NBA, whether he's going to be super max eligible. Like there's other things, whether Boston sees him, like they want to bring him back, whether they can afford to, like there's other weird stuff. That's there's a lot of things that have to play out with a guy like Jalen Brown. Um, sure. But he clearly is a guy that, would actually fit a lot of the timeline stuff around what the Nets age wise and sort of like kind of player you want and, and, and things like that. Um, this is like sort of who we're talking about when you, when you, 
project out to 2024. There's a few other guys in here. Pascal Siakam is in this group. Um, whatever you think of Buddy Heald, I wouldn't put it. He's not a, clearly not a superstar. Demonis Sabonis is going to be coming up. Like there are some other guys that are on. I, I shouldn't even have mentioned Heald before Sabonis. Um, I just was looking at this. I was running down the list. Um, He's the list. And we're not, we're, not, we're not putting these guys it's in mis- order. It's a mistake to even put them. I'm just, I was going for Heald because he's like not, he's not ancient. And some of these guys are. So there are some other guys that are coming up a few years from now. You have DeJounte Murray. Let's like, let's see what happens. Almost Atlanta, almost definitely going to have to resign him. Right. So there's yeah. interesting ish guys guys i do wonder though for the nets attractiveness like if we probably if this is the list right if this is the list but basically what you're asking for at that point is a superstar to opt out and you have enough pieces to go get them not opt out like to demand a trade because that's probably like what the situation here is and then are you robbing peter to pay paul because they would ask for mikhail bridges or something like that (laughs) you know like it's a weird spot and so, and that's the, that's what I was gonna say. The ironic thing is, is that the Brooklyn Nets who ended up having to jettison superstars that didn't want to be a part of their organization anymore could be waiting for a superstar that doesn't want to be a part of their organization anymore to be able to go and acquire them. And it does, it does pose the philosophical, I think, question internally for this organization, which is, do we now, we, we just got all these assets back. And on the one hand, you're saying, we're trying to get ourselves back to even keel. We want to have draft capital. In theory, Sean Marks is a good evaluator of talent. They're going to have two first-round picks. A lot of things are going to shift here in the upcoming draft and the offseason. So do we want to then go after the big name? I know that when we've talked about it in previous iterations, going back to the Harden trade, you always, 100 times out of 100, make the trade because talent like that is so finite in the NBA, you can't risk drafting a player and dreaming on them becoming that. The other the, the, one other thing that I'll mention here, just for our closing thoughts before we get out, um, because I do find it fascinating. And the and Jalen Brown, by the way, does seem pretty close with Kyrie Irving. And I do think if someone was impacted in terms of opinions of an organization, Brown may be one of those yeah. examples when it comes to the Brooklyn Nets and Joe Sy and Sean Marks. But I will just throw out, and this is in no particular, you mentioned about Fred Van Fleet, player option, he'll go to market and make more money. All things being equal, in the short term, I will just mention, it seems likely that the Wizards are going to want to hold on to Porzingis. Guys like Vucevic, older at 32 years old. Fred Van Fleet, as you mentioned. There are some names. There's bird rights, unrestricted free agency, whatever. There is a world where the Nets could try to do something in the short term. It's fascinating to think about how we have to adjust what the timeline looks like because the core is like, 26 27 to 30 right now for the Brooklyn Nets so your targets may actually be more in that vein knowing that down the road 26 27 28 29 you do have a lot more draft capital to then start a full rebuild process if it gets to that point at a minimum it seems like the organization is on a good footing to at least be in those discussions for those players yeah, I th- I think they're going to be able to at least be able to put packages together. I think that they probably, you know, do they have the young players to attach to it? No. Do they have some more draft picks? Yes. Some of these draft picks are, might actually look very, very, very attractive. Like the yeah. uh, let's, let's say a world where Luca asked for a trade and this twenty-seven and twenty-nine Mavericks pick, yeah. like didn't want to whisper you know, it, but that's the name we all have in our brain. That's right? what I mean. Like there's a world where there's a world where those picks look amazing. Yeah. <laughs> like if, if Luca doesn't want to be in that, these are huge what ifs, right? Like this is where the landscape always shifts really, really quickly with it. Sometimes it can seem like, uh, you know, nothing happens and it all happens at once. The nets are a pretty good example of this over the last couple of years where it's like nothing, nothing, nothing. Now the team's totally different, <laughs> right? It's yeah. like, so uh, these things can happen, but the nets, 
do have some possible, you know, even some of these Phoenix ones, probably not as, as, as great, but the Dallas ones could look, could look great. I mean, and, and those picks aren't along the same horizon as their current players. Right. Right. Like, so those are like too far out to really build around bridges. Right. Or something like that. So there, it's going to be an interesting situation here for the nets. I think what we can, and you made a great point about Jalen Brown, which I just, we, I should have just said that like it, it, he is tied with Kyrie and it doesn't feel like there's any love lost. And there's that, that might alone be, not even the worth the price of his admission. So yep. I, it's, um, but that you, you're correct in bringing that up. Okay. All in all, I think we can agree. Nets uh, have pulled themselves out of the mire here a little bit. Most attractive organization in sports, uh, obviously not, you know, dumpster fire, clearly not either. So I think we're, we're working our way back into the, uh, into the mix. All right. We're going to get out of here. Appreciate everyone that has come around and subscribed to YouTube. If you have not subscribed to YouTube, I really don't know what to tell you. We're coming at you live after almost every single game. You can jump in there, ask questions. We do extra bonus content on YouTube that we do not do on the podcast feed. So make sure you subscribe to Locked On Nets over at YouTube. And frankly, I'll let you know that beginnings are scary. Endings are usually sad, but it is the middle that counts the most. You need to remember that when you find yourself at the beginning, just give hope a chance to float up. That's Sandy Bullock. Oh, one of the all-time great American poets. We'll be back again next week talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. 